You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, a Prop G Pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. All right, we are live, ladies and gentlemen. This is the UFC Fight Island 7 Holloway versus Cater post-fight show here on the MMAfighting.com YouTube channel. I am Mike Keck. We have lots to discuss. We're going to give you guys and gals who are watching right now the opportunity to lead the way, so to speak, ask all the questions, and myself, Casey Lydon, and our very special guest, Laura Sanko, who is here. We're going to be answering all your questions. Laura, great to have you here. How are you? It's it's good to be here. I'm I'm excited, man. I'm uh, I'm I'm worn out. I'm not gonna lie. I'm worn out from this weekend. I'm worn out from that amazing fight. Had me on the edge of my seat uh, the entire time. Incredible night. I'm excited to uh, get into the questions about it. There you go. Uh, before we get into the questions and get into what happened this afternoon, kudos to you for your commentary role last night. You did a phenomenal job. LFA, you and Alan Joban did an incredible job. What was that like for you? I know it was something that, you know, you didn't think was going to happen probably like four or five days beforehand, but uh, you stepped in, you did phenomenal. How was it for you? Yeah, I didn't think it was going to happen 24 hours beforehand. I got that call super, super <laughs> late. Um, it was amazing. You know, I, I as, as many people or anybody who follows me on social media knows that's kind of, that's my dream. That's my goal to eventually be able to do that um, on the biggest stage possible. So uh, to be able to do that for the LFA was really exciting. And I'll be honest, you know, I, I've obviously I've called fights for uh, Invicta a number of times now, but that's like a safe place for me, right? That's my home. And, and the, I feel like I have a good rapport with the fans there. So it's not as uh, you don't feel like you're putting yourself out there quite as much, but to go to a new organization that's uh, obviously less familiar with me and, um, to be calling men's fights finally, right? Uh, it was pretty cool, and I felt like Alan and I really had our stride, and it was just an awesome experience to do with um, Yes, you did a, a great job, and hopefully we get to see more of that. But uh, let's get to the questions, Casey, because we've been talking about this for a while while we were waiting for Dana White to get up there. So there's a, a lot that came out of this afternoon's historic broadcast for the UFC on ABC. So let's hear what we Let's hear what the peeps have to to say about this. Oh, just, sir, just and Scott Crate <laughs> agreed. Great broadcast for LFA. Awesome. You and Alan were fantastic. There you go. All right, here we go. Question: we, we had some good fights to talk about that, so that so that definitely helps. We had a ton of finishes. So uh, really, the kudos to the fighters for sure. 
Yeah, absolutely. So wait, who were you in the uh, like by the cage doing color commentary or? Yeah, yeah, I was doing color commentary right alongside Alan Joban. They had a three person booth for the first time, so uh, it was it was really cool. Um, That's awesome. Yeah, just to be able to get that flow and um, kind of show, you know, the world does not melt when a woman discusses a man fighting. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's weird. (laughs) No, no, congratulations, Sarah. I think, uh, I mean, Sarah, Laura. Um, Yeah, I I don't know why it's taking so long to have a lady give color commentary to men men fighting. It's I thought it was the weirdest thing, but... um, I'm happy for it. That's that's exciting. You were great, you know. So yay! Thank you, thank you. <laughs> All right, now back to these UFC fights. Let's see. Charles Strello, Laura Sanko, is Max Holloway officially the greatest featherweight in UFC history after this his performance against Calvin Cater? I think you have to give him that. Um, I think. He had a uh, he had a reason to be called that before this, you know, the way that he obviously would have, we would have said it was Jose Aldo before that, right? But um, the way that he was able to handle Jose Aldo on two occasions, and then just I think what I was thinking about tonight was, and he mentioned it a couple times in the post fight press conference, his journey to that first title shot is unparalleled. I think uh, at least in that division, um, that guy has earned every iota of success that he's had and it's interesting to call someone the greatest of all time after dropping two fights to the champ right um but given his run up to the title given his title reign um unless alex alex volkanovsky is able to hang on to that title uh for an even longer period which is possible he might go on and do that but right now yeah i'm comfortable saying that that max always the best brother with what do you think, Casey? I don't think we ever got your take on this. We know our colleague Jed Mishu's take on this. He thinks it's Jose Aldo all day. I could see the argument. Laura makes a great point. When you have two guys who are vying for that spot and one guy beats the other guy twice, you know, I can understand why some people would say Max Holloway, but I could also understand why some folks would say Jose Aldo because people look at title defenses like it's everything as opposed to other stuff. So where would you put Max in there? Is he number one? Is he 1B? Is he number two? Where do you put him? I give it a 1A, 1B type thing of him and Aldo, essentially. Um, I mean, now, if Aldo would have just, you know, lost his title fights to Max and kind of, you know, you know, generally just kind of not faded away into obscurity, but, you know, all of a sudden he's a number five featherweight. All of a sudden he's number 10 featherweight, mm-hmm. you know, like that. But him somehow, like, against all logic, went down a weight class, and, and he's a top, at worst, a top five bantamweight right now so that kind of changes things a bit in, in terms of pound for pound just a great fighter so Otto's like career is kind of it's hard it's hard because they're kind of doing two different things right now but yeah but 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 suggesting uh, max holloway is the set anything worse than the second best featherweight ever is ridiculous it's either him or Otto right now that's about it yeah i agree yeah it's absurd to, to put him outside of the top two I would agree with that. So, I, and I, I know I don't. I don't want to get into this whole cross promotion thing, but man, I wish we had Pit, uh, Pitbull somehow. Uh, uh, oh, I know. Yeah, just I know. just to throw him in there. You know, it's like oh, these all these promoters and don't let him fight. This is like oh, you have this awesome. Yeah, you know, you know what I'm saying. But it, it's still good to the nice card. Sorry. <laughs> maybe if we get the maybe if we get MMA in the Olympics, then we maybe. all have 
these weird dreams come true where people <laughs> from other promotions fight each other. I don't know. I like it. Thank you, Charles. Appreciate the question. I have to be amateur with my talking about. <laughs> you know, maybe there'll be like a, I, I was going to say World Series of Fighting, but never mind. Forget yeah. forget <laughs> that I'm even saying it. No. Uh, I'm not even here. Sorry, I, I lost my comment. I had a comment I wanted to read. All these comments are coming in too fast. All right, all right, here we go. All right, I am not going to answer this question because me and AK will talk about that on, on to the next one. Uh, what is next for Calvin Cater? Uh, Laura, I'll, I'll ask you that question. Mm, I wouldn't mind seeing him uh, maybe a rematch. with. It was the beat that beat him, right? In most, rec most recently? In November of 2019, yep. Yeah, I wouldn't mind. I wouldn't mind seeing them run it back. Um, you know, it's man. It's so it's so hard. Like to right after these fights, to immediately. I understand uh, Dana's like constant like stop trying to make <laughs> make on the on the night of fights. Uh, but that is you know it's the next logical question. Um, I wouldn't mind seeing a rematch there. I mean, we've got everybody kind of a little bit tied up. I'm trying to remember who else. Obviously, they announced tonight that Alex and Ortega. Um, yeah, it might be an interesting fight. Uh, Although I think he might be out for a little bit here. Um, I don't know. I don't know. What do you think, Casey? <sighs> Taking away any actual damage he took, because, I mean, we can probably talk about it later how much damage Cater took tonight. Because yeah. that's a that's a that's a whole other issue that I think has probably has a fighter and just someone who cares about the safety of fighters. That was a lot of damage that Calvin Cater took yeah. tonight. But assuming everything's he has a little headache, he's good in the morning. Um, man, what's up with Josh Emmett? Is he is he is he how, how long is he injured for? Is he, or he's been out for a while. I mean, he tore like every. Okay, this is why I need to have my Google. Yeah, <laughs> it's you know it's so funny. We watch all these fights, and you tell me name a fighter. I'm like, I can't name a single fighter. I don't know of any. I don't know just. Um, yeah, Emmett, Emmett had a lot of injuries coming out of that Shane Burgos fight. He like tore his ACL, did, yes. MCL, a whole bunch of stuff. So I would say, like, best case scenario, we see him in the summertime. Yeah. You is know it what? Chan, is it Chance on Chance Young, Young that's also yeah, he up just, there? Yeah, he's coming off a loss to Ortega in, um, recently. Um, so he lost that's that. Right, yeah, that's yeah. Good. So, I could see, I could see a zombie cater fight. That'd be pretty cool. I honestly, when I was watching, when I was watching this, because Ortega had such a superlative performance and Max had such a superlative performance, I kept thinking, man, I would not hate a. And I realize he's pretty booked. I'm just, you know, talking about <laughs> my rear end here, but I wouldn't hate seeing that fight again either because I feel like, I don't know, I felt like Ortega was a completely different fighter. Um, now Max just up to the level yet again, but uh, I wouldn't hate that rematch at some point. I realize it's not, you know, coming down the pipe right away. Yeah. Um, I think for K <coughs> excuse me, I think for Cater, he just needs some, <clears throat> I would, I would think at least three months out of the gym <laughs> after a beating like yes. that. And, yes. and you know, and by that time rolls around, things change. Volkanovski, um, Ortega would have already happened by then. Um, or around that time, about yeah, the exact fight scheduled for March sometime, right? March, March, March twenty seventh, March March twenty seventh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I think 
I think Cater just he just needs a rest. And I think about three months, we'll probably throw his name back out there and see how we see what's going on. But man, good good thing I'm glad I'm happy he has an extra 50k though. That's gonna be somewhat oh, nice. Sure. Yeah. Jeremiah likes the idea of Arnold Allen. I don't dislike that idea at all. That would be a lot yeah. of fun. Arnold mm-hmm. Allen's been trying to get a big fight for a while, and you know Calvin Cater. If they offered him Arnold Allen or Casey Lydon or anybody outside of the top fifteen, <laughs> he's taking it. He's putting his pen to paper. It doesn't matter who it is. He's fighting him. So uh, I think he's got a lot of options and. It's good when you have a guy like that, but hopefully he can take some time and and heal up. But that he he's the toughest man in the world. Like after the after that, I mean, I just don't I don't know how he stayed on his feet. Like it's one thing staying in the fight, but it's another thing like staying on his feet that entire time. Like I think mm-hmm. Matt always said I had him had him doing the Mister Robot during the post fight <laughs> press conference different times. So God, what a performance! And Cater's all time tough for sure. I want to say real quick, when Max was talking about, you know, giving that beating to Cater, how he just wouldn't go down. And Max was thinking, man, I am so tired. I think, man, Max has a great poker face because he never looks tired in there. He never looks, never looks tired. tired. I, I thought the exact same thing. I don't get that. Like, after like I hit mitts for like 30 seconds, I'm like, <gasps> I mean, I'm still hitting it, but I can't hide that yeah. tired. And I see these guys, like no. guys like Max, who are like in, inside their hearts going like 180 a minute. You know, and they're just dying inside, but outside they're barely sweating. They're just, you know, pa pa pa. I don't, I don't get it. Yeah, <laughs> his pace, his pace didn't take at all. Oh. I mean, even the guys who come out and you, you guys we refer to as volume punchers. Tony Ferguson, great example. Tony Ferguson is a great volume puncher, but Tony, uh, you know, like most normal human beings, slows down a little bit in those later rounds, and just to see Max do what he did. It was just, man, that, that guy, I don't know how he trains. I don't know how he does what he does without having any sparring. It's just, it's crazy. <laughs> you know, yeah, that's when, that, when we talk about Max and his fighting abilities, like it defies kind of basic fight logic. A lot of times. Do you think so, Sarah? Yeah. Sarah, I don't want to Laura. Yeah. Yeah. It just, it just doesn't it's make, good. it doesn't make any name. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's, I don't know why I'm calling you Sarah Sanko. <laughs> Sarah Sanko. I'm just like, I'm my just alter, like, my alter ego. Yeah. I'm like drunk. I'm fighting right now. <laughs> Same. No, yeah. Well, listen, it, it does defy logic. Um, I yeah. think a lot of the things that he did in this fight tonight defy logic because it's one thing. Um, is, my, is my signal okay now? Like, am I connecting okay now? You know, your, your, your audio is fine, so don't worry if you're going choppy. As long as we're hearing you fine. Though. All right. I, it's weird because my signal, my signal says I'm like full strength, so. I'm yeah. not sure what the issues, is, but um, uh, what what really hit me when I was thinking about and just kind of digesting the fight, it's one thing, I mean, we could be sitting here talking about the superlative performance just on the volume and pace alone, but there are so many other layers that we could also be talking about, you know, have, you know if we just talked about his creativity. So that, to have the creativity, the uh, variety of weapons, the viciousness, uh, the showmanship, all within that context of an absolutely insane pace, sustained insane pace. You don't, you just don't see that. Like it's one thing to be creative when you're throwing a couple of shots at a time. And like, you can kind of sit there and think like, oh, I'm going to throw this 360 kick and then I'm going to do something really cool on the end of it. And you've got time to digest it, set it up, go execute it. And then there's kind of that reset moment. Max never has a reset moment. And I think it's really what 
makes a lot of his opponents fall apart because then that means they never have a reset moment either. And I'm telling you, you can't find training partners to no. replicate that. You can't, uh, y- y- you don't get that in the gym um, unless you're training with Max Holloway. I-, I just can't imagine how you'd ever prepare for that level of creativity within that pace is just second to none. Yeah. Um, Plus his defense. And the durability, because Calvin hit him with yes. some big shots. Big yes. shots. That uppercut, a couple of uppercuts landed super clean, and Max just ate him like a turkey sandwich. Like, it was nothing. Yes. It was amazing. It, it, it really is. And, 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 I mean, no one, we all know Max is tough. It's like every time I watch the fight, I'm just reminded of how tough, he is because you're exactly right, Mike. That uppercut, that's the one that really stuck in my head. And I think I tweeted out um, back at that point in the fight, like, you know, Holloway, great performance, but Cater having some moments and people like, oh, this is a massacre. It was, but like, I'm telling you, Cater had bad intentions on some of those shots. Yeah. And he was connecting with some of those big shots. And that guy has got so much power in his hands, which is what, even though it was, just an incredibly one-sided dominant performance with a guy like Calvin Cater and power like that and accuracy like that. I was still on the edge of my seat uh, all the way to the bell, to be honest with you, because you just never know. And Calvin, Calvin could have pulled it off, but I, I hope we end up having a little bit of discussion about, you know, thoughts on should the fight have been stopped and all that type of stuff because because it's an interesting one and it's one that has really evolved for me personally as you know I'm tight with Anthony Smith and like I've seen some of these other fights where we just end up having that discussion afterwards you know and I, I think it's one that needs to be had because it keeps it in the forefront of people's minds I'm not saying it should happen tonight but it's worth discussing right absolutely yeah, yeah. and <laughs> Yeah, and Kate, Casey and I were talking about this, and I think it comes on the heels of our colleague Steve Morocco's article about Spencer Fisher that we dropped earlier this week. That is just absolutely unbelievable. Yes. If you haven't checked it out, highly recommend heart. you do so. Yeah, I think it broke yeah. everybody's heart. But there's one thing that was so fascinating about Calvin Cater because I saw everybody on Twitter saying, "Listen, Tyson and the team they need to think about stopping this fight." End of the fourth round, after eating 81 significant strikes. Calvin Cater is sitting there with his back against the cage, a bloody mess. Horn blows. Cater just smiles at Max Holloway mm. and says, good stuff, man. And gives him like a high five yeah. and walks back to his corner. And Tyson Chartier is asking him all these questions and giving him advice. And Calvin's answering him clear as a bell. Mm-hmm. There's like nothing concerning. Like if you just turn the television on and saw that exchange between Tyson Chartier and Calvin Cater – you would have never thought he got hit 81 times 30 seconds ago. You did know you, what I mean? Yeah. Did you see what Max looked like at the po- at the post press conference? It looked like Max lost the fight just by the, the by the bruising on his face. But like that's the guy that landed like 2000 strikes, which means that Calvin hit him with, you know, at least <laughs> hit him with a significant amount of strikes. And yeah. I don't get it, dude. I don't get it. <laughs> it's a wild sport. Yeah. They they're both they're both just next level humans, that's for sure. At the, yeah. Do you think? Go. I'm sorry. Heart of hearts, Lord. Heart of hearts, Lord. Do you think they should have stopped it earlier? No, I don't. But um, I do think I understand, and I think it's valid, and I actually think it's important. I'll go beyond valid. I think it's important that it was at least the topic was broached. That's the thing, right? Like 
at some point, um, I remember, I remember when Duke Rufus stopped the fight for Anthony Pettis, you know, that's the one that really sticks out. And I know there are other examples I can think of, but I do think the most important stride that can be made is to make it less um, or, or more socially acceptable to where if you get your fight stopped, you know, you're not automatically a pussy and you're not thinking about firing your coaches because how you dare you do that? You know, I had long, long, long conversations um, with both Anthony Smith and his corners after that fight. And it was fascinating because Anthony, Anthony's old school, right? Like he was legitimately uh, angry that that topic even came up and he was honestly mad at his corners for uh, I guess being sensitive to the feedback that they got after the fight, you know, uh, Mark and Mark and James were, were not loving that conversation, understandably. And Anthony's like, I don't know what the problem is, you know, get over it. So people didn't like what you guys, you know, it, it's fascinating to hear the mindset of someone who, you know, he said, he said, I've had this conversation with Mark where like, I will never, I will never train with you again. If you ever stop the fight, I just, it will, it will break my, my trust in you. Right. And I do think that ultimately it's the referee's job to keep the fighter safe. That's the biggest thing. Um, that is, that is the, that is what their job is. And the coach's job is to help the fighter figure out a way to win. Now, secondary to that, Fighter safety is part of a coach's job, but it's not his primary job. It's the it's the referee's primary job. So I think, um, and the ref is literally in the fight, right? Literally seeing this, hearing this. So I, I put a little bit more onus on them. And this goes back to just how crazy tough Cater is. As much as I wanted that fight stopped, and as soon as I'd be like, oh, the fight should be stopped, then I see Cater throw this wild hook that that – that Max has to get out of the way of. It's not like he just yeah. throws it. Max, Max is like, he's there. You know, there was an elbow. Like those, like, mm-hmm. like he's like, Cater's still in the fight. He's still in the moment. He's not just you know blind. That's what that's what that's what made it. I, that's why I understand Herb Dean was in a very difficult position. Was yeah. it Herb Dean? Was he the main event ref? Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Uh, yes. That's what made him. Uh, that's why it was such a difficult position. And as long as Calvin's head wasn't really bouncing a lot, it and it seemed like his his legs only went out just momentarily in 25 minutes, yeah. maybe a couple of seconds. Body Seems language like, is a big, body yeah. language is a big piece of it. And that's why I was actually fine that the, that Anthony's fight didn't get stopped either. People made a big deal out of it, but like the shots that he was taking on the ground for the most part were somewhat peppering, you know, he's on the ground. They were, they weren't like massive shots. The fight that honestly I think has the biggest argument, at least in my mind was the Ferguson Gaethje fight because Tony, Tony was essentially like, you could see in his face that he was no longer, he wasn't there. Right. You know, he wasn't, he was making movements and he wasn't like just wobbling all over the place. Like he was drunk, but you could see the expression on his face. He was somewhere else and he wasn't, he was defending and moving, but he wasn't defending in a way that we know Tony's capable of defending. I would argue that Calvin, while he was getting tagged up relentlessly, I kept seeing moments where he was weaving and he was putting his hands in the proper position and then he'd fire back with an elbow or like you say he'd fire back with a shot um to me that's very intelligent defense so um 
I kept being on the cusp of having that thought, like, oh, maybe they should. And I'd be like, no, oh, oh, maybe they should. No, he looks, no, I think he's okay. And then as you say, Mike, in between rounds, clears a bell, answering questions. Um, that's a big piece of it. So I, I'm, I'm not upset that it wasn't stopped. And I would also point out, in such a high-stakes fight for Calvin and Max, if this was just an amateur fight or a regional fight or guys or just yeah. the early fights on the prelims, uh, I, I think the ref can can give be a little more um, aggressive in stopping the fight. But I think these guys, like Calvin Cater, may, I think you understand this. Like He has earned the opportunity to get his ass kicked like that. And because yeah. it takes years to get to that point, to get your ass kicked in the main event on mm-hmm. national TV. I know that sounds weird, but I think you know what I mean, Laura. Like, I do. Yeah, it's like that. he's earned that right to yeah. get, get his butt kicked. So I yep. think um, in the end of the day, I think Urban Dean actually did a fine job. And it was, it, yeah, it hurts. It kind of hurts your heart a little bit. But I think that I think the right decision was made by all involved. Yeah, I agree. I would agree. And by the way, I, I do want to say one thing. I thought Dan Hardy on the broadcast today was awesome. Like he was, yes. he was an A plus mm-hmm. on the broadcast. And I thought he made such a great point in the first round. He's like, Calvin's normally a slow starter, but you cannot let, and I thought the analogy was great. Like if you let Max get out to too big of a lead in the first round, it is almost impossible to play catch up. And mm-hmm. he was so right. I'm sitting there listening to this. I'm like, I don't know. It's just one round. But as you saw that first round unfold going into the second, I even tweeted, I'm like, all right, this round went kind of the way I expected it to, but Cater's a second round guy. Like once second round comes, that's like Cater's first round. But Dan Hardy was so right. He was so right because it just got worse for Calvin after that. I wonder too if Calvin wasn't slightly uh, taken by surprise by Max's immediate pace because a lot of times we see Max come out round one and be very patient very calculated, almost like he's kind of taking it all in. He's still, it, I say that, and he probably still lands, you know, four <laughs> strikes a minute, which if you average out the UFC is still a pretty high rate, but it's low for him is my point. You know, he's a little bit more calculated and more patient often in that first round. And in the second round, sometimes you can see a huge flip the script. And he comes out and he fights like we, like we saw him tonight. Tonight, he came out and he had that volume and he had that pressure right from the bell. So I don't know if it was just Max feeling himself or Max feeling like he had Calvin's number, but I wonder if Calvin didn't have half a second of going, Oh, whoa, I was not prepared for this. I was prepared to have at least a sort of patient first round where we could measure each other up and I could find my distance. I could find my rhythm because literally from the first few seconds of that fight, you could tell that Calvin just hadn't settled in and Max was already like in his groove and flowing out there. And then it just, as you say, the fight got away from Calvin within the first minute of the fight. Yeah. It's crazy. (laughs) It's crazy. Dan Hardy was unbelievable today. And to see him like standing on his feet, doing the broadcast was even cooler. Like just pacing around like in his little space. On his feet the whole like, time. They need He's like a that. longer cord for Dan so he can, you know, have a nice <laughs> length. You should be able to, yeah, just be, come on, get some wireless. Get some wireless headphones. Yeah, have him just walk around. Yeah, just he's in the he's in the locker room watching. He's walking out with them right next to them. Oh, he he's got to look in his eyes. I can see it. He's got to. He's like on top of the. Yeah, he's pushing Herb Dean out of the way. Go. Yeah. <laughs> I thought, yeah, I thought tonight's booth was great. I thought, I thought Anik DC and um. And Hardy worked well together tonight. That's not a normal. That's that's not a normal combination, right? No, I, yeah. I was actually kind of 
trying to think if I've ever seen Hardy and DC work together. And I, I, I can't say it's never happened, but I, not that I can remember. And it's a great mix because Dan has such a deep, a level of detail in his analysis mm-hmm. that I personally really enjoy. And DC brings such great, uh, I mean, he does detail as well. Obviously mm-hmm. he quite literally does detail. Um, but he often in fights does a great job of really painting the big picture. He brings the humor. He yeah. brings the uh, the personality. I freaking love it whenever he says big biscuits. Yeah. Yeah, that's like, my new favorite thing in the whole world. There's big biscuits out here. You know? Hey, I thought uh, those be, I thought those big biscuits were fight of the night, to be honest. So <laughs> Yeah, it was a fun one. It was a really fun one. That was uh, a fun one. Well, apparently there were other fights on the card, too. So we might want to, I guess we'll go. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Some other fight. All right, Let's here we go. What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast, and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the PropG pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, that's, ooh, that's uh, really small. Can you read that? Right. Hold on. Ooh, do, do. Uh, let's see. Oh, wait. Oh, man. This... I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. I'm sorry, 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 sorry. sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I know my boss. <laughs> is, Lee, is, is Lee Jingliang that good of a fighter or is it a case that he got lucky versus Santiago Ponzinibbio? Ponzi took off 26 months due to a health scare. We could have been talking about him as the welterweight champion. So I guess the question is, Laura, was this a case of really good timing for Li Jingliang or is he as good as we, we saw tonight? Oh, I think he is as good as we saw tonight, but I do, uh, listen, there's not a lot of a fight that we got to see. So it's hard to kind of analyze whether ring what rust really was a factor for Ponzinibbio or not. But um, I, I tend to think it was, he was maybe a little bit less uh, explosively aggressive than we've seen him in the past, but you can't take away um, from Lijing Leong. That was a perfectly placed punch. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, I always root for these comeback stories. I'm a fan of the leech. You know, it's not like I wanted him to lose, but I, I always love rooting for the guy who's trying to scrape his way back. So I was, um, it's sad to see Ponzinibbio on the canvas like that, but I, I, you know, I know he'll be back. He's, he's an incredible mm-hmm. fighter. And as you know, our, as Joseph Boza said, <laughs> uh, we easily could have been talking about him in that welterweight contention title. He was on a heck of a streak and, uh, just unfortunate circumstances, um, kept him away from a, for a really long time, but, um, I, I have no doubt he'll be back and, and doing big things quickly enough. Casey, we don't like to talk. I mean, sometimes you do. Us positive thinkers like to do this, but moral victories are hard to find in mixed martial arts, aren't they? And I feel like Ponzinibbio and our own Guillermo Cruz wrote an incredible story from a conversation he had with Santiago Ponzinibbio heading into the fight. But him just getting back and looking as good as he did, the shape he was in. I mean, this yeah. is a guy, after losing all of that weight, was actually thinking about dropping to 155 because he lost so much muscle mass due to the illnesses. Mm-hmm. So just the fact that he got back in here and was on this historic card, although it sucks that he lost, he got finished in the first round. Is that like, can you take at least that with you? Is that a, a moral I, I victory? I do as a fan. I don't think he's going to. I don't, I don't, I don't <laughs> right, right, right. At all. You know, it's kind of like uh, Walt Harris. You know, that was 
just Walt making the walk uh, when he did in back in May, you know, those first few fights back was, oh my God, talk about emotionally, you know? Um, and then that's a, you want the story to end a certain way, right? You want this fairy tale ending for Walt, given everything that he had been through. So you're right. I, I as a fan, like I, I'm just, I'm happy that they, they were able to get back to the point where they could even enter the octagon. But as fighters, Entering the octagon is not what we're here for. It's yeah. not. It's not what we're there for. You know, and and you never. I don't know. I don't. I don't think fighters take moral victories very often. But as a right. fan, I see it. Yeah. <laughs> it was a crappy loss for Ponzinibbio, but I don't think it was the worst loss when he when he looks back on it um, because it wasn't like he was dominated fifteen minutes. And I mean that oh. that punch that punch honestly landed like he was. I think it was that left hook, and he had his arm up. And it just kind of either came around, it came around his guard, but it just it just hit that perfect spot right in the tip yeah. of the chin, right in the tip of the chin. Like if that hits on the cheek, on the forehead, it hurts, you know. But yeah. it doesn't take very much on right in that tip of the chin. So it's yes. it's just one of the I don't want, I don't want to call it a lucky shot because there's no such thing at this level a lucky punch a lucky punch. But yeah, it was a perfect it, punch. And it, it was, was a perfect one, punch. Yeah, one shot. Yeah. So. And again, yeah, he didn't go. Great. He didn't go out cold. Ponzinibbio was that right? Yeah, Ponzinibbio was it Ponzinibbio still? He, was he arguing the stoppage? A little bit, yeah. A little bit, yeah, I, I, right? Yeah. Yeah. So um, it was a good stoppage. It was, no, it was fine stoppage, but yeah. <laughs> All right. And uh, again, another great point Dan Hardy made, and I didn't even realize this. Li Jingliang is massive. He is a huge, huge. welterweight. Dan Hardy's like, huge. look at the legs on this guy, and I was like, oh, I didn't even notice that his legs are bigger than. It's just massive. What this like, is gonna sound weird, but like his, his cranium is gigantic. Like he has a <laughs> giant head. Now it fits his body. I'm not saying he's like some really disproportionate person, but like he's just a big guy. Very how, big. How many wait, Mike, how many fights is, um does the leech have in the UFC? Isn't like we talked about this on the preview show. Something crazy. He's like, a lot. A lot. He's like, he has a like he has a lot. Like sixteen fights a or something. Lot. Like I'm like yes. Like, I'm like holy mo yeah. It's like I I think we said for he by far he has the most fights in the UFC for any uh, Chinese fighter easily, not even close. So uh, yep. he is a very experienced um, fighter who who knows it just took him a while to hit that prime to to, to, mm -hmm. to get in his stride. Like he just got to the UFC when he was a good you no know, a decent fighter. Now he's yeah. a good fighter. Now he's on his way to becoming kind of that great fighter. Can he be in the elite? You know, so, you know, he, he took a giant step out. Took a giant step tonight. Yeah. For sure. As I said on the preview show, Why, and I don't so know small. if we're going to do this again. <laughs> any, any, anytime Li Jingliang enters a fight as a massive underdog, take a shot on him because he yeah. always comes through. Uh, yeah. Wes S., what is next for Carlos Condit? UFC Bellator PFL. Or is this the end of the road for the natural-born killer? Yes, as he stated on his media day, this is the last fight of his UFC contract. So we will see what happens. But Casey, let me let me get your take on this, my friend. Do you see Carlos Condit said on his post-fight scrum, he hopes to re-sign with the UFC at some point. Not really sure what the price tag is, but he wants to come back. He's got two wins in a row. Do you think his next fight will be inside the octagon or will it be somewhere else? Well, it's not the end of the road, that's for sure. He's still there's still a lot of fight left in him. Um I I I got to I was privileged enough for Carlos's when he fought Court McGee, I was in Albuquerque at the time. So I got to watch him train and hit pads and just dude, watching Carlos Condit hit pads for five or six rounds is 
Oh, it's beautiful. <laughs> it's just, you know, you know, Laura, like some, some guys are good strikers, but some, but yeah. some people on the pads, you're just like, oh, wow. Yes. It's like music. Yeah. Yeah. It just has that. Uh, and then of course I had to hit pads right after that and it was just embarrassing, but <laughs> let's not talk about that. <laughs> but, um, no, um, I, as much as I love, um, what do you call it? Uh, competition. And I, I, I want, I want to see fighters fight everywhere and, you know, find different promotions i think Carlos khan is a ufc fighter and i just i hope yeah. i hope he can come to terms and get the proper you know whatever he wants to get paid i hope him and uh, dana can come to a, a agreement and um i would like actually i would like to i would like for him to stay in the ufc and uh yeah i i, I like him finish his career in the ufc and i, I still think he has a, a good a good run still left in him agree i thought he right. looked great tonight you know um i thought that the, the analysis was spot on. I've never seen him wrestle with that much uh, flow, right? Mm-hmm. Where he was just, you know, he's hitting the switch and he was, you know, getting the reversals and he looked, he looked really confident in his wrestling. He's always been mm-hmm. a well-rounded fighter, but the wrestling in particular really seemed on point tonight. And it was a big factor in this fight. And in terms of what's next for him, I mean, I think Dan Hardy threw a couple names out there. Of course, the one I'm going to vote for is James Krause because I think that that would be a super fun fight. You know, even though uh, they're of slightly different generations, they're not that far apart in terms of generations. And I I like, you know, like the fight tonight. That's the type of fight I like. I want to see the fight that we were wanting to see forever. I want to see Carlos fight other guys from that generation of fighters. And while James is just a little bit younger than that, you know, he's he's. Right there. I wouldn't mind seeing him fight Dan Hardy, to be honest with you. I don't know if Dan is still <laughs> hot for a comeback um, because he's so good in this broadcasting career. But if Dan makes a comeback, that would be a really fun rematch. And uh, I don't know. I don't remember when their first fight was, but it was a long-ass time ago. And it'd be so cool to see those two scrap again. Dude, that first fight was so close to a double knockout. Do you remember it was in, yes. uh, I was there, I think it was in Manchester, it was in England, I was somewhere in England when I saw it, but, um, no, it was London, it was in the O2, but, um, yeah, it was, the, the, that was probably the closest moment I've seen in the UFC to a double knockout. <laughs> crazy, it's crazy, so I wouldn't mind seeing those two throw down again if, if Dan in, indeed is, uh, looking to get back in there, but I think Carlos will stay with the UFC. Um, just yeah. my, my prediction. It, it feels right. You know, some guys, you know, you kind of want to see, you know, I want to see him fight in Japan, just a kind of different environment. But I feel, I, I think just because Carlos was so close to greatness in the UFC, like he was like, he yeah. almost knocked out GSP. Came so close, knocked out GSP. Most people thought he beat Robbie Lawler in that amazing, yeah. amazing fight, you know. Um, so it's like you just want him to get that one more, one more run. So, one more big moment. Yeah. Sure. Maybe you give them Lawler and they run that one back. That'd be fun. Ooh. You know That'd what? That'd be fun. Uh, Carlos did say, I saw in some interviews, he did say he wants to run back a lot of those losses. And Lawler was one really? of them. Let's do it. Lawler was one of them. I think, yeah, timing is. Because I, I think Carlos, yeah, he, Car- Carlos is at that point in his career, like fights that maybe don't make uh, ranking sense, but kind of makes fan sense. I don't know. Yeah. Just okay. bucket list, just stuff stuff you always wanted to do. I mean, that's you earned it at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, For sure. Um, this question. Like, uh, oh, go on. Yeah, like don't throw him in there with Miguel Baeza. Like, don't do no, that. No, I don't. I don't do care yes. About do what we're saying either. exactly. <laughs> crowd, <laughs> listen to us. Like, crowd, <laughs> okay with 
But yes, yeah. the rematch, the legend tour, that's what I want to see. Cool. Yeah. Um, this question is about the betting odds, but it's going to just talk about this fight in general. Were those some crazy <laughs> betting odds in the Buckley fight? Yeah, we talked we talked something. about this in the previews though. If I would have put if I if I was allowed to put money on fights, I mean, and it's not and I'm not here to hate on Joaquin Buckley because mm-hmm. I actually think uh, he's a good fighter, but there's just certain fighters that like the tra- the hype train take off down the tracks and people who have followed someone's career for a long time are like, "Wait, wait, like he's good, but let's not <laughs> let's not like let's not let this train just completely steamroll everything and if i was if i was betting or allowed to bet i would have put a ton of money on DeChirico because he's a solid fighter and he's been around the block and um again I, i'm not here to hate on walkley luckily he's a, an incredible athlete and he's got a solid skill set but the odds should not have been what they were <laughs> i think i would agree with that yeah i think we said going i think when we did our preview show coming into this fight i picked DeChirico. And I was like, well, simply because this is the toughest Jericho. It's when he fights guys better than it sounds silly, but when he fights guys better than him. He loses. I, I feel Kevin Holland is a better fighter. He mm-hmm. lost to Kevin Holland and um, Bellator when Buckley was in Bellator. The guys he lost to, um, I feel are just better. And the guys mm-hmm. he's beaten, he's better than them. And I thought Jacar- yeah. comparing, comparing those wins and losses in his past, I thought Jacarico was going to be in the better half, and that's what we saw tonight. Yeah. yeah. I thought. I thought if any. I thought if Buckley was going to win, it was going to be a really close decision. Like I thought it was going to get mm-hmm. to the nitty gritty. I didn't think there was going to be. A, he was going to finish the fight by any stretch. Um, but if Buckley were to win, it was going to be a gritty fight. It was going to be one that he was going to take a lot away from. But never know what's going to happen in this sport, friends. And Jacarico got it done. Nasty knockout. And then <laughs> I thought the post-fight stuff was even better. He refuses that was so to an interview strange. with him. That was so strange. I felt for John in that moment. And I was and I was putting myself in that position, like, oh well, how would I how would I tag that? How would I react to that? Like John's me. just like, congratulations, Alessio to Cherico. Yay! Yeah. And then he goes <laughs> and then he goes to the back and John Morgan asks him one question. He does he goes, I like the win. But I'm not doing this interview anymore because you should interview the losers too. I'm out of here, guys. 40 seconds. His whole scrum is 40 seconds. Yeah. And apparently, I mean, you, you guys obviously listened to the post fight, but Dana was saying mm-hmm. that even when he came over to congratulate him, his whole to- his whole team was like, you know, what the hell what the hell do you want? Like, like I'm sorry. I'm just, just here to say good job, you know. Like you had a, a great knockout tonight. It's a very uh it's a very interesting I want to say it's like it seems like his heart's in the right place. It's just a very tra- it's a strange uh, it's a strange hill to die on, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, and I was like, well, bro, I I like I personally love interviewing losing fighters, and I, uh-huh. I just I just feel there's more more story there, but not when not when they just got knocked out and got hit in the head very hard. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I don't mind interviewing a losing fighter days after a loss even if they didn't get knocked out or um pummeled too much just from a just from an ease of like uh flow in in Mm -hmm. in an interview i hate doing it because it's so hard to ask polite questions Mm -hmm. about you know 
a fight that they lost, unless it was really close, and then that's kind of a different story, I guess. Yeah. But I don't know. I don't know. I it was just a very strange hill to die on. That's all I'll say. <laughs> I think you might appreciate this story, Laura. So back in the Invicta days, when I was doing stuff for Invicta, and uh-huh. your fight, actually it was one of the fights you were, uh, your your fight that you, who did you beat? What was her name? Cassie Robb. Cassie Robb, yeah. And um, so I was actually, I was remember it was like that big underground, uh, yeah. uh, where is it, uh, Kansas City? But, um, yeah, the Memorial Hall. Memorial Hall. So I was interviewing everyone backstage, and I wanted to talk some of the losers too, but like, I was like, ooh, so I kind of put the camera down. And I always kind of, I was like, I kind of went to the coaches first. Like, do you think she's would like to talk about her loss? And they were, usually they were like, well, you can ask her. And then I would ask, and, you know, hey, do you want to talk about it? And like, I think of all the 10 fighters that lost, nine of them were like, yeah, yeah, I'll talk. You know, it's fine. Uh-huh. And I'm not, I'm not going to trash anyone, but there was one fighter I asked if, when she lost the fight and she went, she looked at me and she's like, I don't want to fucking talk about it. <laughs> I don't want to throw into the bus, but like, no, I was like, to know who yeah, I'll tell you later. I'll tell you later. Okay. Right. I was like, like I was, but, but she looked, but it was like, she even looked in her eyes. Like, how dare you? I'm like, okay. I, 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 I so wish I, th- cause I think she won that night, but I so wish that this story was accidentally about Paige Van Zandt. She like had that, all, this alter ego where she was like, fuck, I don't want to fucking talk about it. <laughs> But I'm sure she would never do that. And I actually think she won that night. I can't remember. But, <laughs> but um, yeah. yeah. So talk, talking to losing fighters is always, from, from the us backstage, is always a tricky thing. Because everyone's different. Every, every fighter is different. Yeah. yeah. Some fighters are like, yeah, yeah, I'll talk. Yeah. But other ones are like, yeah. <laughs> uh, Thank you, like, Sandy. Thank you. Do, do, do. All right, here we go. Was Carlos Felipe versus Justin Taffa a robbery, Laura Sanko? Mm, I'm not prepared to call it a robbery, but maybe uh, a pickpocketing? <laughs> a misdemeanor? I, yeah, I think it was. Uh, I think it was. An, I think it was a pickpocketing. Um, I did have Justin uh, winning that fight, but. Yeah, I don't. I don't know that you can call it a robbery. That was just a great fight, and um, there were a lot of a lot of really close moments. So I can't. Normally, when I think about a robbery, um, I'm th- I'm thinking like armed robbery, right? Uh, you know, I'm making. I'm drawing this analogy out way too much at this point. But uh, I, I, I didn't. I didn't see. There weren't moments I could point to and say, "How could you argue that that was anything but just you know Carlos Felipe winning?" So. I, I did have Justin winning, but um, no, I wouldn't label it a robbery. Casey, I, what do you think? Was this was this a robbery, or is this like someone saying, "Do you have twenty dollars? I can like have." <laughs> uh, oh man, robbery! So yeah, this wasn't a this was <laughs> this wasn't a full on like assault team robbing a bank robbery. This was maybe more you know go to, go to your local bodega and steal kombucha type of robbery. I don't know. <laughs> Like, I was like, I'm not paying for, I'm not paying four bucks for this. A handful of Splenda packets. From yeah. I like this dinner play. I'm like, <laughs> it's that type of robbery. Um, but this is actually one of those fights, um, that I think for fans and like, Laura, you'd understand this too, because we've seen so many fights cage side, how the, what you see on TV often yeah. is a much better view than cage side. So maybe it's when, and when there are close fights, sometimes you think shots land from where the judges are, but 
they actually don't land or vice versa. Yeah. So, so I, I think when there are close fights like this, that you do have a better perspective at home than you do as a judge. So I'm yeah. like, I'm going to give it a little bit of um, uh, leeway, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Tafa got hosed. He didn't get robbed. Yeah. <laughs> I don't. I don't know if there's a difference between the two, but I feel like Hoes is just a little friendlier than, than Rob. Okay, here we go. Let's talk about this one. Oh boy, we. <laughs> we <laughs> talk- <laughs> I'm, I'm done Lord talking about it. But BS announcement from Dana about the UFC lightweight championship. I mean, like I said, because I'm a positive guy. I'm like. I'm like the the corporate boss who gives bad news, but like tries to sandwich in like a piece of good news. The good news was I thought they built this up so brilliantly. Like the whole thing was great. Like even from when they walked into the office and Dana like smiled and closed the door, like that whole thing. And then like the Instagram story where it's like Dana on one side and Habib on the other side. And then him doing the video saying 3 PM, ladies and gentlemen, when this main card starts in ABC, the announcement comes and it's going to affect everything at ufc 257 you got my attention you got it all and then at 302 when there is no dana 303 no dana 304 no dana then we're doing pre- the promo for puna soriano versus dusko todorovic and we see them walk down the aisle like i'm i was immediately like uh-oh this is not going to be as cool as i thought it was going to be sure enough it wasn't as cool as i thought it was going to be laura what did you think i know you're in a I different position quite. than we are but it wasn't quite as cool as I, I thought it would be, but it's kind of out of his control, right? I think he was fully anticipating a yes or no definitive conversation, and um, I, you know what? I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna spin it in a positive way as well. I don't hate it. I don't hate it because it's gonna add this whole other level of intrigue uh, when we watch that fight next weekend because the co-main and main event. I think all of us in the back of our minds are going to be thinking, you know, was this enough to tease Habib out of retirement? Was, was, oh man, is this, you know, maybe, maybe Michael Chandler goes out there and does something just absolutely insane. Right. And uh, I, I don't know, like I, I, or honestly in a perfect world, Conor McGregor, not that I want Dustin Poirier to lose cause I don't, but Conor McGregor does something magical again, and I'm not going to lie, that that would get everybody going. It would get me going. The thought that, oh, now, will Habib say yes to this? Because I think there's a part of Habib that's very principled. And I think there's a part of him that doesn't want to give Connor that experience again, that shine again. I genuinely think he doesn't have a lot of respect for him, um, perhaps. But then... By the same token, I, I think Habib is at a point in his career where he also wants to he wants to entertain people and he wants to put a capstone on his career and to beat Connor again would be that capstone and it would be a massive payday. So I don't mind it. I don't mind it. We've got an extra layer of intrigue as we watch the fights next weekend. So I'm, I'm, I don't hate it. I don't love it, but I don't hate it. <laughs> here's here's the thing. I would I would. I actually left the door open for some positivity until Dana spoke at the post-fight presser and said that Habib wasn't going to be there. He'll be there Wednesday, but he's going back home after he corners somebody on Wednesday. If Habib was sitting next to Dana on Saturday at UFC 257 watching these fights unfold, yeah, I'm with you. I'm all in on it. I'm actually all – I would be all in on it if Habib was there 
watching it and reacting to everything that happened in those two fights. You know what I mean? I actually, but, but just seeing that nothing had changed from October when he announced his retirement, it's kind of a letdown, Casey. I, yeah, I, I, it sounds I'll like they're going to, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. It sounds like they're going to meet again in Vegas. So then we have like another announcement to get all excited about. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Announcement 2.5, Casey. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, feel like, I feel like that we're just doing the GSP thing again now. We're like every three months, GSP come in retirement. You know, it's just, uh, it's just this, uh, it's just this thing. It's, it was cute. The decision. Oh, the door shut. What are they talking about? You know, it's, it's, it's cute. You know, actually, I do want to criticize something though. <laughs> No, I want to criticize something, and this is actually a criticism on Habib. Um, why is it? Why is he? I know he said he's retired, but has he just said I vacate the belt? Because because Daniel's talking about not holding up the division. Well, one thing I admire about John Jones when John Jones went the heavyweight, he vacated the belt immediately. He's mm-hmm. like, okay, I'm done with this. And then if I if he decides to go back to 205, he'll have to fight as a challenger, I guess, for John Jones. For Habib, though, I don't understand why hasn't he officially vacated. The belt. Because he's not retired. Oh, he's my not bad. Retired. <laughs> so, That's why. So, I, so I don't know. I, I, I think he's just going to decide. You know, if, if I think it's just literally a gut reaction. If he is moved by someone's performance and, and gets that fire lit in him as he's watching, um, then I think he's going to fight again. And if it's just sort of, if we see two decisions and two kind of back and forth fights, but more maybe which I don't think this is going to happen. I don't know how it could happen, but uh, with the, with the people that we're talking about, but just in some parallel universe, if it's a somewhat boring decision type fight, then, then I do, I think he's going to vacate. I, I really do think it, it depends on the performances that we see on, on Saturday. And that was what he meant by not holding up the division. Like in other words, I'm not going to drag it out past Saturday and past when this he has this next conversation with Dana. Yeah, I guess. I guess. I guess. I'm just like either. I don't know. I you Habib. I, I've I've said you're the best. You're the best. I think I think you're the goat actually, and all that stuff. I'm like, but you left, dude. Like let 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 these gentlemen continue with the division and let them fight for the belt. And if you want to come back, challenge them. I don't know. Or let or I don't know. But um, I just wish because more belt. I mean, they, they, if if Dustin wins a belt, if uh, Chandler wins a belt, whatever, like all these fights are just gonna be just they, they make more money, and I, I want I want more financial freedom mm-hmm. and financial security for these fighters at this level. So um, yeah. that's why I, w- I would like the belt available for these these men. That's my that that's my sense. only that's my only beef. <laughs> I wanted the Habib Nurmagomedov Invitational lightweight tournament announced today but it didn't happen (laughs) (laughs) holding out hope (laughs) hope. Uh, but it is what it is Um, we got like another week and a half of it and then we'll have our decision hopefully (laughs) (laughs) how much money would you pay to see dana and habib's meeting would you pay pay pay-per-view money To put these two I'd guys at a, in a private, <laughs> oh, I would pay good money to see a lot of these meetings. I want to see Colby with Dana talking money. I would love to see the the yeah. money the money talks between like those level fighters. Yeah, no, right. it would be it if would be did, fascinating for sure. If they charge nineteen ninety five. 
for the dinner between Dana and Habib in Las Vegas, would you pay it? Yeah, if it was magically <laughs> them not knowing that it was being filmed. Because like, if they know it's being filmed, then it turns into television and then people are not being as real as real can be. But if it was somehow some magical world where they don't know they're being filmed and I pay 20 bucks to like get the secret tape, yeah, I'd probably pay for it. Like we're like we're the secret bus boy. We come in like we fill the waters. You yeah. Know, listen. Yeah. <laughs> we'll camera in your bow tie. Yeah. <laughs> so basically, we, we uh, want to become spies. That's what we're talking. Basically, yeah. <laughs> yes. 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 We are. We are not recommending anybody do that. By the <laughs> yeah. way. Uh, thoughts on Stipe versus Francis announcement? Exciting. Is that official? Did Dana make it official? He did. He did, yeah. Dana announced got it out. It was funny because in the prospect press reunion, I can't remember who asked the question, but uh, he said, "Yeah, it might it might have been Mike Bond, but he said, yeah, you got you got it out of me. Good job. It's official.'" <laughs> um, so yeah, that's going to be March twenty seventh as well. So that'll be a that'll be an excellent card. And uh, man, I love that fight. I think um, this is a very interesting test for Francis because level of Stipe's boxing, um, sophistication of the the angle, the wrestling, like uh, Stipe, Stipe is a 55er who just happened to have a ginormous body. Like the way that he moves, his fight IQ, the, the things that he pulls off in there. Um, not to say that Francis hasn't been fighting excellent fighters because he has, and all those guys that he's beaten have had uh, some interesting tricks up their sleeves. But if you want to throw a blanket over the entire heavyweight division, it's quite often that, okay, we're looking for big shots and that's mostly what, you know, we need to work. We need to worry about, or if you're fighting DC, you know, going to work about the takedowns or whatnot. But um, yeah, this is, this is a big test for Francis. Um, and I, I'm trying to think of the last, you know, massive horse tranquilizer type puncher that Stipe has faced. And I, I don't, Francis is just another level. It's probably Francis, right? Well, sure. I would say Overeem and Overeem dropped Stipe, but that's you know yeah, that's true. And um, DC, <laughs> but he learned his lesson. Yeah. Um, but I, I know yeah. what you're I know what you're saying. Yeah, and um, I mean if you watch that fight, yeah, Stipe dominated rounds four through five. But man, rewatch round one. That first three minutes when Francis put up beating on Stipe. Let's see if I feel like Francis is a different is a, is a different fighter right now he's 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 grown tremendously because he was man he was so green when he got mm-hmm. in and started doing big things um yeah so i i think that that could could play out very differently but um stipe has got some very nuanced skills for a heavyweight absolutely casey i don't know if you know this but that night ufc 220 at the td garden in boston you and i we watched that fight in the same room together did you know that I figured we were there. To get, so we were in the back watching the fight. We're in oh. the back in the legends in the yeah, old, yeah. Uh, legends place. Oh, okay. <laughs> and we we're all in the same boat, like watching that first round, and then watch just seeing like how intense it was. Mm-hmm. Like the, it was the quietest I've ever seen a media room through those first five minutes of that fight. Everyone was just like yeah. waiting for every shot Francis threw. We we're like, ooh, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> and then Steve survived it, but. I like the fight. I think it's super interesting. France is obviously a different guy, but the Stipe we saw against DC earlier this year or last year, excuse me, all ripped up like the cool guy haircut. 
Yeah. He's a little more personable now. He just seems like yeah. a more comfortable guy. You know what I mean? He just seems like a different cat than than he was probably for that first Francis fight. That first Francis fight, I remember the post-fight press conference. I asked the first questions to Stipe. He was pissed that night. That dude was angry the whole time. He just and he refused to let Dana White put the belt around his waist. I remember that. Yes. Stipe was just a he was he was not a happy camper because he thought the whole thing all the uh the whole build was the Francis and Ganu show and he was at a the B side while he was the champion. That's right. I'm remembering I forgot about that whole him being irritated about all that stuff. Thank you for the reminder. That yeah, it'll make the lead up to this one even more interesting for sure. Yeah, I remember that whole week, uh Stipe and Dana. It felt like you were out you were out to dinner of a couple and you could tell they were fighting, but they were just acting like everything was good. But you're like, Oh, you guys are, you guys hate each other right now. Yeah, that's what it felt like the whole week doing Dana and Stipe. I don't, I don't know if it's gotten any better, yeah. but uh, yeah, <laughs> I, 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 remember, I know exactly what you're talking about, Mike. It seems like it's gotten a little bit better. Yeah, the relationship between Stipe and Dana and DC and Vulcan got a little, uh, we're getting a little testy too. Mm-hmm. Remember the media day at Fenway Park? Yeah. They almost got into it at the end of the media day. Fun. That was a fun card. I know, I know what Volk can't do. Volk can't beat Daniel Cormier. That's what he said before the fight. <laughs> I was like, ah, DC, your, your, your dad puns. I love it. Yeah, he's good. I think that was the birth of there's levels to this game. Yeah, there are from that. Yeah. Where does Charles Oliveira end up in all this? So here's kind of my theory, and I'll let you guys chime in on this. It seemed just based on Dana's body language of what he was saying, you know, to John Anik and then again to the media. It seems like right now, Charles Oliveira in the Habib sweepstakes is on top of the list. Like if Habib were to come back, Oliveira is number one. Now, can these other four guys, depending on what they do next Saturday, can they leapfrog Charles Oliveira? That's kind of how I view it right now. Oliveira's performance against Habib's bitter rival that he never got to fight puts him at the top of the list. Now, can any of these guys upend Charles Oliveira? That's how I see this. Laura, what do you think? Yeah, no, I tend I tend to agree with you. I mean, they, they were very uh, particular in bringing his name up every time this discussion uh, happened. So it's clear that Habib must have made a big enough deal out of how much respect he had for Charles Oliveira's last performance that that name is intentionally being injected, even though we keep talking about the four guys fighting in the two fights next Saturday. So I agree with you. There's something something happened in the conversation where Habib made it clear that he was very impressed by that performance and that Charles Oliveira needs to be in the conversation of whether Habib comes back for another fight or not. And I think, I think you're right. It could have been a conversation. I'm just speculating here, but it could have been a conversation of like, I would like to fight Charles Oliveira, but I want to wait and see because if Connor does something, just blow me out of the water. Spectacular then, you know, maybe that is the fight. I don't know. So, uh, but I agree that that would be Oliveira versus uh, Habib would be pretty fascinating given, I mean, it's so funny because just even as I say that, even as I say that, what Charles Oliveira has done for his career in the last couple months, in the last year, I'd say, is nothing short of incredible because there was a time not all that long ago where if you would have asked me, to Rachel Charles Oliveira, I would have said phenomenal grappler, striking really coming along, and he's starting to put together some knockouts. But he always had specter of 
you know, this question of does he quit in fights? Is the is the the mentality, is the heart there to back up this incredible submission skill set and this growing striking skill set? And to hear, even to hear myself talk about how Habib is eyeing him as the next greatest challenge is just so cool because I love the idea that fighters are not, you're not stuck. You're not, you don't have to get pigeonholed a certain way. You can fight your way out of a reputation for X, Y, or Z. If you put together enough performances that contradict that, that reputation or that conversation that has built up around you, because I'm sure that we um, created that somewhat unfairly, but um, it's clear that he's just, he's just a different fighter these days. Remember, remember the days Casey Lydon, and, and we've talked about this. Remember the days where Charles Oliveira would just go out and dominate a guy at 55, and then he would get on the mic, and all he cared about was give me one more chance to fight at featherweight again. Like this is a guy who just realized that hey, we're here, we're a 55er, we accept that, we're happy here. So, my question for you is: one, do you agree with that? That Charles Oliveira, because I've been saying this for a while, I don't think Habib's coming back. But if there's one guy who might entice him to come back, it is Charles Oliveira if he continues to rack up wins. But if Oliveira is on the top of this list, does this mean, in your opinion, that the fight that Dana White is trying to line up, because he mentioned Nate Diaz, booking him a fight at 55 that we'd all like, are you thinking Nate Diaz versus Justin Gaethje, since he seems to be the odd man out of this equation right now? For uh, for so you ask me, do, do I think Gaethje is going to face Nate Diaz? Is that if all of, if we are to believe that Oliveira oh. is in the Habib sweepstakes right now? I, I think Oliveira has. I think Oliveira is still one one big one one big one more big win away because uh, away from Habib coming out of, of retirement to face Oliveira. I think I think he still I think he still has to be one more win one more win I think I think that's how I that's yeah. how I, I don't mean to interrupt you that's how I felt in my head but then why I just kept going back to like why why was his name so intentionally I mean it's clear that Habib really saw some things because I'm with you Casey if I would have written this narrative like oh no he needs he needs one more of those I, I, like wow yeah I think fights. but it seems like Habib really is kind of impressed by him right now. Yeah, I mean that. But if Habib, that'd be really interesting though, because I mean, of all the fighters you mentioned, Gaethje, Poirier, McGregor, Ferguson, whatever, Chandler, the one that sells the least amount of pay per views is Charles Oliveira, for sure. Just, just from a money standpoint. But if Habib is good on money and all he cares about is competition, and, and how and how he looks at how he ranks the fighters, not how we rank the fighters, and if he thinks Charles Oliveira is like. That guy can beat me. I want to face him. Yeah, if, if that's how Habib goes. But again, are we hearing this from Habib? I know we're kind of everything's through other people. So I just I wonder <laughs> if this is just me speculating. 100%. I wonder if Habib was like, I want to come back, and I like the the puzzle, the problem that Oliveira presents. But Dana was like, Yeah, but the money is Connor. So why don't you wait? And see if Connor does something that lights a fire in you. I wonder if the the maybe, maybe let's wait a little longer was kind of the the push from Dana. Now I'm just pure speculation yeah. on my part. Well, Dana, Dana um, still has to sell the pay-per-view next week before he sells the <laughs> Habib versus yeah. anyone. So, I mean, I know it's yeah. it's a week-to-week thing with uh, Dana in a lot of times as far as, you know, what he's promoting. Mm-hmm. And that's his job. He is a promoter. That's why as much as I thought the decision was ugh, whatever – 
We watched it. The fans watched it. We're talking about it. We're talking about it. We're talking about it. So Dana White's job as a promoter, he did perfectly. He's winning. You know, so uh, the fact that we're talking all these things, yeah, that's all. That's all win for uh, the UFC and um, interest, and that's what they want. Can Can I just say that the more I actually talk about this, the less I hate it. (laughs) Because it's your idea. No, I just like <laughs> the Oliveira fight. Like, nothing fact is, that we nothing has changed. Yeah, nothing's changed. We're we're exact the same position. But it, like sometimes, and it's very cliche. Sometimes if you just talk things out, it makes more sense. I still don't like it. Like I've gone, I've taken a step up it. from I hate this to I just don't like this at all. <laughs> like I didn't like it, but I feel a little better than I did. You know, five and a half hours ago, when we got this, when we got this news, <laughs> we got this decision. This, the, the non-news yeah. news, yeah. All but right. to answer your question, short in the short term, watch my six six six. I think Charles Oliveira is a big piece to this puzzle, mm. or could be speculative. Speculative. Right. You think I'm, Max is on to something when he said fighters should do less sparring in their training? That's a fascinating Laura, question. Uh, yeah, what do you think, Laura? I, I didn't mean to cut you off, Mike. I'm sorry. Um, yeah. I was thinking a lot about that, and I think it really – it's certainly not a blanket answer. I think it really depends on how far you are into your career. And I clearly <laughs> clearly it works for Max Holloway. Um, can a younger guy gal get away with that? I don't so. I think particularly the younger you are, more that you need to understand the way your body reacts differently – um, the way your brain reacts differently when you're under an intense amount of pressure. Now, obviously, there's degrees of sparring, right? Not all sparring is created equal. equal. Yeah, yeah. And if you go to, you know, Vanderlei's gym, if you go to King's MMA, <laughs> you're in for some hard sparring, right? Uh, and there are some gyms that take a, a slightly different approach. So, of course, I would agree that the old school um, – actually having this discussion after LFA last night. In fact, the old school days of like the day before your fight, let's get in the gym and let's just try to knock each other's heads off. And that's how we're going to prepare. Those days are long gone. That is a hundred percent dumb and unnecessary. What the day before the fight, people were like, let's fight all out before the actual yeah, real fight. Ed, oh, that's telling these crazy <laughs> stories about that's- like, Shogun and I can't remember who else it was. But he was telling these crazy, like really old school Pride Day stories of like, oh man, yeah, like right before they went out, people, you know, sparring so hard in the warm up that they're almost getting, you know, knocked out back in the day. So obviously that's dumb, but um, <laughs> I think it, it it has to be a case by case basis. Clearly, it works for Max Holloway, but Max Holloway, as we know is a special guy. It's not going to work for everybody. And I think part of it comes down to, are you someone who has, who needs an on switch or are you someone who doesn't have to find the switch? Um, I obviously had a very short career. So um, I'm on the side of, you know, being green and like, I needed, I needed more experience dealing with that level of pressure and, and, and finding my on switch so that I could do that in a fight. Uh, Max, Max, knows himself so i i'm kind of giving a wishy-washy answer but i don't think it's for everybody some people need to spar it just you have to spar smart i think that's i think smart spar smart is 
the answer. Remember, um, and Max has been kind of, um, no, kind of, no, very secretive about this. But remember the whole situation when he was—I forgot who it was. Um, he was fighting Ortega originally, and the the week of, he had those. I guess remember those faintings, but or he was just dizzy, yes. and it wasn't from the weight cut yet. It was actually just they, they had basically kind of sounded like he's had, he had some concussion issues, and those concussion issues mm-hmm. were coming from sparring, and it was carrying over mm-hmm. to a fight week. And uh, I think uh, I think he's just learned his lesson from that. And if you remember too, when when uh, Max fought Frankie Edgar, and he went to the decision, and Max actually said in the post fight in the post fight interview and. Uh, in the post fight post fight press conference, he said, um, "You know, I didn't want to go all out with Frankie in a sense. I wanted to play it safe. I didn't want to take any any damage, and so that fight was kind of it was kind of boring in a sense. You know, it wasn't I like, guess crazy as this fight was, but but Max admitted I fought safe. I wanted to just get get in and out of there with no damage, and um, I think Max is realizing that. I think he has children. I think he has a kid. I mean, he has a kid. He talked about having one. He wants more kids. I think he just recently got married." and stuff or his fiance so um i think max just sees there's life after fighting and if he's going to take you know that brain trauma you know he's going to make sure he gets he gets paid for it i think i think you have to sorry go ahead no no i just think he's at that point in his career where he's got all the skills now it's just no he just no he has to get his body in shape and the timing right but there's no need to punch no punch punch in a sense to get ready for a fight at his level yeah, you, and you have to you have to know that there is uh, life after fighting. And I know that it's funny. I know that Dana always gets so much shit for saying that fighting not a career because you can you can take it one way. Uh, what he means when he says that, but I think that this topic is what he's talking about. Like that fighting is a it's a young man's sport, and you have to enter it knowing that you will not be doing your life. It means that you're going to have, you know, God willing. 30, 40, 50 years after you're done fighting. And, and what is that chunk of your life going to look like? And I recently, um, I'm not going to say who it is because I don't want to uh, offend anybody, but there was a there's a fighter that's been around the block for a while and he's kind of got that style where, you know, he gets hit a lot. And I was having a conversation with him. I hadn't talked to him in a few years. And I was like, as soon as he started talking to me, I was like, I was alarmed by his rate of speech and like, I don't know, just the, the, the way he was having trouble finding things that we were discussing and like, couldn't, I don't know. It it was, it reminded me of, of the article that we referenced, you know, the top of the show. And it, it it broke my heart because it just reminded, it made me think like this guy has not maybe fully, you can say that you know, of course you know you're gonna your career's gonna end at some point, but like there's there's knowing it and then there's man, knowing it and changing how you approach your career now to set yourself up for success later. And I think Max is clearly a guy who who gets it and has has done that. And I hope more fighters see that you don't have to you don't have to sacrifice yourself for the rest of your life for a couple of years of glory, even though a lot of them you know, choose to do that. Yeah. Well said. And seeing, seeing Max Holloway, especially like these days, 2020, 2021, I wonder if D if like Demetrius Johnson was just like so ahead of his time, you know what I mean? Like 
it seems like a lot of things that Max Holloway has perfected at this point in his career, DJ was doing for years before that and wasn't getting the same attention that Max is getting right now from like the video gaming, the way he just like gets better, the cool, calm collectedness mm-hmm. that he is in the octagon. Like if yeah. DJ had a, if DJ had like a 50, 43 win over somebody and defended the flyweight title, you would not be getting the same attention that Max Holloway is getting right now. I just think Max is such a cool customer and the UFC did such a great job, job like promoting him over the years. And plus Max is just, it's just such a nice guy. I I don't know. I just feel like DJ was ahead of his time and Max is just the same guy. It's not like he was copying DJ, but I feel like the pieces that DJ presented, Max has just taken and ran with it. Yeah, I can see that. I think Max, Max has a uh, penchant for some great one-liners, which always, which always helps to be, uh, you know, DJ was a personal guy, but uh, I don't know. There's something special when Max opens his mouth. It's either going to be funny or insightful or praised in a certain way that's just sort of delightful. Uh, he's 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 an interesting guy to listen to all the time. Yeah, Max is fortunate in, in the sense that he just has a great. I mean, he just has a. He's just one of those personalities. Just and he's always had it. If you look at his old interviews, like even before he was a pro, I think. There was an interview as an amateur, like when he's he still has bleach blonde hair and he looks like twelve years old, and yes. it, and but he's still the same guy. You, 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 can, you, can, yeah, you know what I'm yeah. talking about? Yeah, you, you still see that you still see that that same Max Holloway in there. So yeah, uh, for sure, yeah, and like and like even the DJ thing. I think we've all talked to DJ, but then sometimes when the cameras are on, then it, it's kind of it's maybe a slightly this is in the past a little slightly different DJ, but. Yeah. Some things you want. It's like DJ. Where's that guy that I talked to you in private? Where's give me give me thirty percent of that? You know, you know. I mean, just uh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes I think people just feel like, and it's hard, you know, being a fan. Uh, yeah. How hard yeah. it is to just just be normal, you know, even though yeah. there's this camera in your face. Just be normal, you know. It's it's harder than it sounds. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, it is, one. It is what it is. It, it is, is what, what it is. is. Yeah. It is what it was. That's what he said. <laughs> that's, that's, that's. All right. Um, one more question before we let everyone take a nap. Uh. What are you most looking forward to for Wednesday's card? Ooh. So it's all right. I, I want to preface this by saying that I know if you compare it to today's card and you compare it to 257, it's not as deep to be friendly about it. But if you really look at some of the matchups on Wednesday's card, there's some bangers on there. There are some really solid fights. Tyson Nam versus Matt Schnell is ridiculous. That is a ridiculous fight. I cannot wait for that one. So if we're going under the radar, that is my pick. Laura, what is yours? I'll be perfectly honest with you. Between calling fights for the LFA and then watching tonight, I have not even looked at Wednesday's card other than the main events. <laughs> which so i'll just go there i i genuinely think you know i i wanted to see the edwards hamzat shamaya fight I, that fight i cannot wait for that fight because leon is such a perpetually underrated um underhyped individual and hamzat i think still has a lot to prove in my eyes but that's not on this card so i will continue i will stop talking about that um no, I think I think Magni Chiesa is a really intriguing matchup, and they're both long, rangy guys. They're sort of similar in a sense, and I think that this is you know a real opportunity for Chiesa to come out and steal the spotlight. But man, Neil Magni has looked 
next level in his last couple times out. And uh, I'm, I'm excited for that one. I think that one's going to be, I hope they're on the canvas a lot because I want to, you know, geek out over some <laughs> intriguing grappling exchanges, but uh, we'll see. It'll be a good one. Laura, do you, you think? Oh, actually um, there's a, a, a fighter debuting on Wednesday's card named um, uh, Victoria Laredo. Do you remember her from Invicta? Oh, Leonardo? Leonardo, I'm sorry, Leonardo. Yeah, Leonardo. Yeah. Yeah. So she. Oh, that'll, um, be, that'll be fun. Tell us a little about. I don't. I, I saw that she's fought in Big Dub. I don't remember her. Do you, do you? Yeah. Yeah. Oh no. She's had. She's had some real fun ones, and she. Uh, she won her contract on the Contender Series mm-hmm. this last. Um. This last season. No, she's. She's solid everywhere. She's predominantly a striker, uh, but has excellent uh, grappling awareness, and I think has really worked on on honing that. Um. Her grappling has particularly her control grappling. Like she's really good at, at getting on top now and, and maintaining that top position, but she could throw hands. She's just, she's just a solid, durable uh, striker that has had enough time in Invicta to really develop a well-rounded skill set. Um, I think sometimes some of the female fighters can get rushed into the UFC a little bit mm-hmm. more than the guys do. And then we end up with these divisions where it's like the, the queen of the division and sort of everybody else is, you know, like anybody could beat anybody on any, on any given day. Um, and I think Victoria, given her experience in Invicta um, and what I saw in the Contender Series, has a real shot at making um, a dent and being ranked in that division sooner rather than later. But uh, we'll we'll see. She, she'll be she'll be a fun one to watch for sure. You know, I'm excited to see eventually in the UFC or whatever other organization, maybe maybe Invicta. Um, I love Aaron Blanchfield. <laughs> Yes, I think she's so good. How could you not love her? I, I just, Aaron I just, I, amazing. yeah. So um, I'm excited about seeing what's on. So I'm, I got, I got in the whole um, fight, after, the fight finder tapology. Me, fi- for half a second. Yeah. <laughs> after last night, because I'll admit, like a lot of times, I get very myopic about the UFC and Contender Series because I gotta really wrap my brain around those things. After being exposed to Loveth Young on uh, LF on the LFA last night. Holy moly. That girl is going to be problem. What's her name? Tell me more. For some of these strawweights. Her name is Loveth Young, and she's the Nigerian Terminator. And guys, gals, if you're watching this, go look this lady up. She's got as close to a walk-off knockout as you're going to get at the strawweight division. She went out there and absolutely dominated Kelly D'Angelo last night. I know that we're supposed to be talking about UFC stuff, so I'll quit rambling now, but (laughs) love it young. Look her up. Love it young. All right. Yeah, Another good prospect on that card who won last night and got a finish, Michael Stack. I'm a fan of that kid. I think he's going to be really good. Michael Stack is a a, a super young guy. His story about how he got into the sport is great. Um, We'll let him tell that story when he gets closer. If he, he should be on the contender series this summer for sure. But if you want a good Victoria so. Leonardo fight to watch, Invicta 36, 2019, Stephanie Geltmacher. Yeah. Oh my God, yeah. those two beat the brakes off of each other. <laughs> that fight was awesome. That's a fun one. Okay, last thing on non UFC fighters, prospects. <laughs> You know my new favorite fighter actually is? I hope you remember Hope Chase. The Invicta oh, fighter. Yes. He's awesome. Yes. I, I love Hope Chase. She is wild. She is. I don't know who to compare her to. It's maybe it's, Di- maybe a young Diego Sanchez. Kind of like she has that kind yes. of vibe. 
She has that vision. I can see that. Yes. That's such a good analogy, Casey. That's so perfect. She is. She, and I mean this like with all due respect. Yeah, I do. Very charming way we need these people. She has to screw loose, and I freaking love it, and I'm here for it. She called out <laughs> every woman that has ever fought in Invicta, and then she's running through the UFC, and like yeah. she she's a flyweight, right? Or she yeah, she's flyweight, yeah, twenty two years old, flyweight. yeah. She's calling out Chris Cyborg. I mean, and she meant it, right? Like yeah. she's not. You see, you you, you you see that in her eyes, like oh she ain't like we're kind of laughing, we're kind of like ha ha ha. We're like oh wait, she's she's yeah. very serious, and I love that. I I. I, I got a lot of, I, don't, I wouldn't say I got crap, but I think a lot of people felt for me in that interview because I think you could see me like trying to stifle a laugh. But I wasn't laughing at her mm. like, oh, oh, how preposterous. Like she was just so, she was so intense. She's like, I'm going to call out Chris Cyborg. I'm going to call out Amanda <laughs> Noonan. And I was just like, oh my God, this woman. Wow. I want, I want half of what you're taking. I want half of that. You know, we were just talking about how some fighters, like when they're on camera, they give us like, 50% of their personality when she's oh. on camera. I feel like she gives 200%. Like she just like, whatever she is, when the camera turns on, it's just she's oh. wild. Yeah. She is absolutely wild. And I love it. And she <laughs> loves Jesus so much. And she will bring that up as well, which makes for another fascinating interview. <laughs> Live your life. Hope Chase. God, Live your God life. I was pouring her in that fight and I'm not mocking that. I, I grew up that way. So I'm not making fun of it, but like, she wears it on her sleeve. And so it's very Diego Sanchez. We'll just, yeah, very Diego Sanchez. <laughs> was, um, it's Ho- I want to see Hope Chase versus, um, what's her name? Trains with like the Diaz brothers or in Stockton with oh. Chelsea. Chelsea Chandler. Chelsea Chandler. That's the fight to yeah. make. That's the fight. That's, I want that girl. And I, I, I always hate saying this because I'm sure it pisses Shannon off, but. I want big things for these women. So I want Chelsea Chandler in the UFC tomorrow. That girl's attitude. She, she's my favorite. She's my favorite because <laughs> she is like, when she fought, now I'm going to forget her name, but the, the woman from LA who like weighed in in a fur coat and was the sunglasses and like had the whole thing, beautiful girl. And Chelsea just comes out there and she's just like, you know, Diaz, just dripping Diaz and beat the, Based off her, anyway, enough women's women. <laughs> women, <laughs> women, <laughs> women. Why are we talking about women? Let's talk about some bros, some dudes. Let's have, yeah. have some brewskis. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, listen. Who had who had the fight of the year last year? Not the men. Exactly. The women had the fight of the year last year. Exactly. I love seeing that. And, 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 and there were two men that fought after those women. They they just pity padded for twenty five minutes. Come on. Yep. <laughs> Girls, bring it. We always well, there have, you have it. There's always been like a little chip on our shoulder about being in there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think we have uh, we have waxed poetically on UFC Fight Island 7, the UFC's debut on ABC. We have discussed pretty much everything in the world of MMA from the decision to Holloway's win over Cater to even women's MMA. We got through it all. Prospect Watch, we did it all. It's so, music. Uh, of course, it's, music. <laughs> it's wonderful, right? <laughs> I can't. I can't. Face, face, face uh, the pain, I'm Laura sorry, Sanko. Face the pain. We're so relaxed right now. So, Laura, thank you so much for joining us. You're the best. Anything else you want to get off your chest before you say goodbye? 
No, I just need to go sleep. This was a lot of fun. Thank you guys. <laughs> and this this theme is just I'm so here for it. I love it. Thank you guys. <laughs> There you go. So for Laura Sanko, for Casey Lyon, I am Mike Heck. Thank you for watching. Good night, everybody. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Property Podcast, and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, a PropG Pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the PropG Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts.